I'd ask you to turn with me to the book of Ezekiel chapter 27. The book of Ezekiel chapter 27. And I'd like to read verses 26 through 36. Again, that's Ezekiel chapter 27, and we'll begin reading in verse 26. It says this, Thy rowers have brought thee into great waters. The east wind hath broken thee in the midst of the seas. Thy riches and thy fares, thy merchandise, thy mariners and thy pilots, thy caulkers and the occupiers of thy merchandise, and all thy men of war that are in thee, And all thy company which is in the midst of thee shall fall in the midst of the seas in the day of thy ruin. The suburbs shall shake at the sound of the cry of thy pilots. And all that handle the oar, the mariners and all the pilots of the sea shall come down from their ships. They shall stand upon the land and shall cause their voice to be heard against thee. And shall cry bitterly and shall cast up dust upon their heads. They shall wallow themselves in the ashes. They shall make themselves utterly bald for thee, and gird them with sackcloth, and they shall weep for thee with bitterness of heart and bitter wailing. And in the wailing they shall take up a lamentation for thee, and lament over thee, saying, What city is like Tyrus, like the destroyed in the midst of the sea? When thy wares went forth out of the seas, thou filledest many people. Thou didst enrich the kings of the earth with the multitude of thy riches and of thy merchandise." And the time when thou shalt be broken by the seas and the depths of the waters, thy merchandise and all thy company in the midst of thee shall fail. Excuse me, shall fall. All the inhabitants of the isle shall be astonished at thee, and their king shall be sore afraid. They shall be troubled in their countenance. The merchants among the people shall hiss at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt be any more. That will conclude our reading this morning. And um, I'd like to take a title from verse 26 of our scripture reading today. Uh, From the very first line of that scripture reading, it says, Thy rowers have brought thee into great waters. The title of our message this morning is Rowing in Deep Waters. Rowing in Deep Waters. Pray for me this morning that I could just get out what it is that the Lord would have me to say today. A lot of things rummaging through my mind, but they're not as clear as what they often are. And so pray for me today that I can say what the Lord would have me to say this morning. When I consider my life um, and I compare it to other people... And other times and other places, I feel a great sense that I've been dealt a really good hand of cards. Um, Like anyone, I've seen trouble in my life. But despite that, I just feel as though I was dealt a really good hand of cards. 
to use that saying. Um, as Brother Steve was discussing or, or mentioning the young man um, and the situation, and praise the Lord that he got saved. Um, I have often, I guess whenever I was younger, I was um, critical of people in those situations. Perhaps classmates and peers who I would see their behavior at a young age, perhaps fifth or sixth grade, and I would look and say, well, you're getting what you deserve. And was rather merciless, I guess, in my judgment. And then I got older and I recognized that those behaviors, especially in a young person, emanate from somewhere. And it's very often because they were dealt a pretty bad hand of cards. Now, I don't seek this morning, and I think you know me well enough to know that that does not exempt them from um, judgment or their, or, or it does not excuse behavior. But I do think often it, it explains it. It helps us to better understand why people are the way that they are. And I've often thought, whenever I have seen um, extreme or behaviors which are just difficult for me to understand, or I've heard good news in a situation that you would not have thought would brought good news, like we heard this morning, I've often wondered what I would do had I been in the same situation. Would I have listened to, would I have decided in the middle of prison to go to a a service? If so, would I looked around at the various offenders that were worshiping or that were there with me and thought of the hypocrisy and been harsh and judgmental? Would I have, as I sat in my cell late at night, thinking about, the months or the years ahead of me, or for some people, a lifetime ahead of them, would that have embittered me towards God? Thinking about, well, I'm this way because, and become more vile and more sinful and more hardened? And I don't know the answer to that question. Um, But, I feel grateful. I feel grateful because I was dealt such a good hand. Um, You were too. You were too. I know that not because I know all your backgrounds and, and the hardships you faced, but being born here at this time and with this, these privileges that we are so accustomed to, Um, you have a good life, and so do I. And there is a tendency when things go well, when life is good and we're allowed to apply the ingenuity and the skills and the wisdom that we have and put our hands to work, and as a result of that, prosper, There is a tendency that I almost said was subtle, but it's not, to attribute our success to our own hands. To perhaps look at people who have been dealt similar cards that we have and see, you know what? We were very similar in the cards that we were dealt and the life that we were given, but I triumphed. 
I succeeded. I applied my hands to the plow and look at the result of all those things. And I would argue this morning that even more so than just that, that youth and success tend to cultivate arrogance. So as a young person, I want you to realize that I believe there is a natural tendency and pull in your own heart towards arrogance. And I think for the most part, it's because it has not been dulled by hard experience yet. Or in other words, you've not learned to the fullest extent how much is out of your control or how much of your success has nothing to do with you. But due to God's enormous blessings upon your life, upon your station in life, and upon withholding many things that could have occurred in your life that did not occur in your life that has to other people. The Bible makes no secrets about one thing that God desperately hates, and that's pride. Arrogance. Thinking highly of oneself or one's ability, and perhaps more than any other sin in the human heart, more people will end up in hell because of their pride than almost anything else you could imagine. And the scriptures we read this morning are dealing with a group of people who that was their downfall. And yet, this one example, all week long, I could not get away from this example, and that's perhaps why I've struggled this week, is it's not a common one, and yet my mind kept coming back to this example and, and relating to some of the things that were spoken. And in this text, there are three different groups of people, or three different people, that Ezekiel in his vision and in his prophecy are speaking condemnation towards, and we just read you one excerpt of a greater portion of the text where he is speaking to these group of people that had become lofty and arrogant in their thinking, attributing their success to their own power, and God was saying, I have spoken that something is going to come to pass, and he asked them this question periodically through the text, and on this day of judgment, essentially, where is your pride going to be? This morning, I might say to our lost people here, If you put your hand towards any number of things in your life from this point forward and you achieve the very thing, there's an old Greek saying that I heard a few weeks ago and I won't be able to quote it exactly, but it said something like this, whom the gods would destroy, they granted their wishes. Whom the gods would destroy, they granted their wishes. In other words... Very often what we think would ruin our lives is if we did not attain what we were seeking desperately after. But what some old Greek philosopher had figured out is very often it's when a person becomes so attached to the desires of their own heart that they desire that above all else. That if you want to ruin a person's life, give them what they're desiring more than anything because it's not what they expect. Achieving it is not as good as what they thought it would be. Lost person today, I want to make a clear statement about perhaps the purpose of our message this morning, and it is to say, if you get 
what you're seeking after in life. And you attain the, the status, the riches, the accolades, and yet you don't have God. On the day of judgment, it will mean nothing to you. And I think very often throughout the scriptures, God takes this whole principle and he inserts it in real life. We're able to see that played out over and over in scriptures where people were seeking after something and then a day of judgment came and suddenly the things that they put their hands to throughout their whole life meant nothing on that day. And this is just one example where God is highlighting this. He's talking about this island. So Ezekiel is this prophet and he has been carried out to Babylonian captivity in the first group of people that go out to Babylon. He's a young man, about 30 years old. And part of his book is that at first he is speaking judgments against Israel and Judah. And I'll have you note as a side note, the primary thing or one of the, I don't want to say the primary thing, one of the main things that God criticizes Judah and Israel for is for their pride and arrogance. Their, their recognition or their thought, we no longer need the God of Israel and the God of our fathers, but we can venture down our own ways and we'll be fine. And so he spends a portion before this text calling out judgment to both Judah and Israel. He goes to Egypt, a neighboring nation, and he calls out and he says, you're going to stand in judgment for what you've done. And then he comes to the text that we're reading here. That if I remember correctly, last from chapter 26 through chapter 28. And he finds this little known nation. And you could call it Tyre or Tyree is what I've always called it. I think it's properly called Tyre. But it's just north of Jerusalem and it's on the coastland. And they had become, once Judah, or excuse me, once Israel had fallen into captivity, they prospered because Judah went into captivity. So they were doing really well. And because they were doing well, they begin to think well of themselves. And we could go back earlier in the chapter and it begins to describe in explicit detail just how prosperous they had become and that the main avenue that led to their prosperity was their trade and commerce on the Mediterranean Sea. And so they spent a lot of time as a nation investing in what would make them rich. And so he goes through and he says, you know, as you built your ships, your sails were woven by Egyptians. And it was the finest embroidery of anywhere in the world, insomuch that when you saw a ship coming, you could see how beautiful it was. And that came almost a representation or an insignia of your presence, of your greatness. It says that their oars that they rode with. They were made of the best oaks of Bashan. That was the place over and over in the scriptures that are mentioned as the oaks of Bashan. It was a location where evidently there were some very well-known forests and oak trees that people desired more than anything else. And it says what they used in their oars to, to uh, to, to help catapult their commerce on the sea was these oars from the finest places in the world. It says that the benches that they set upon had ivory in them from different places. Now you think of ivory today, that's a pretty expensive good. And it says that their ships were not only 
built with the finest things, but then from all over the world, they had been meticulous in asking the experts from all different parts of the world to come and and run their ships to pilot and to do all the various things to their ships. And so it says they had mariners from one location and they had uh, the captains from another location and they had, they were the envy of the world. And Ezekiel goes into great details. I think he went into great details in part because they were detailed in their accumulating and in their organizing of this thing. It's no different than a person who perhaps values their home. If you hold your home in very high value, then there's a good chance that everything that is in your home was very purposely put there. You chose a certain kind of wood flooring and you chose a certain kind of tile and you labored over and over. And if perhaps uh, it, it become too treasured to you, you may have gone overboard and trying to make sure that it was decorated in just the right ways. And so Ezekiel the prophet, knowing what they had done, knowing the amount of diligence they placed on building this perfect nation in commerce, he goes into that much detail and saying, I know all the thought processes of your heart as a nation and why you have done that and why you've done that to accumulate what you want. But no, in the same sense that you have accumulated all that, there is coming a day where all of that has rode you into deep waters. Or in other words, he's saying... Your arrogance and your pride about these things are leading you to a place beyond where you can survive. Verse 26 that we read to you this morning, he begins to pivot. Because in the first part of the chapter, he's saying, here's all the things you have done to laud yourself with praise, to build yourself up. And in verse 26, he pivots and he's saying, however, you're rowing into deep waters. And then he begins to describe what it's going to be like in their judgment. And he stays within that same setting. He stays within the setting of their city, within the setting and the mindset of all the things they had built and done to to, uh, prosper their trade on the seas. And he's basically saying, what are the mariners that are now working for you going to say? What are these nations with whom you have traded that kings are the ones that are decorated and wear the clothing that comes from your ships? You're the ones that have striven to make all sorts of people prosperous and you're known from all over the world. And yet on the day of your judgment, what will those people say? What will those things be worth? What good will it be for all of those things to have happened? Because those very things will lament in your judgment when the time comes. Isn't there a reality today? And I I pray that the Spirit of God would communicate to your heart in the full way that Ezekiel is trying to communicate to this the the nation of Tyree, all of it amounts to absolutely nothing if you don't know God. But he doesn't stop there because he goes into chapter 27 and then he points it to an individual and it was the prince of Tyree. Because he was so prosperous, because things had gone so well, he began to think in his mind. You know, that's one of the amazing things about the Lord that oftentimes you see is I love when God, and there's this subtle change from, he's, t- he's describing at first 
the actions that everybody can see. And he's standing in condemnation of those actions. But then God does something very often in the scriptures that me and you cannot do. And that he goes from observing and judging people's actions to then transferring that and and illustrating or bringing out, here is the thought of your heart. Now, truth be told, the thoughts of our heart are much more wicked than the actions we're ever able to perform. Because our thoughts have no boundaries. Our actions do. Our actions are limited by our own strength. Our actions are limited by our resources. Our actions are limited by the actions of other people. But our thoughts are boundless. I can think any evil, horrible, terrible, proud thing that I want to. And simultaneously in thinking that, nobody has any idea. And so despite thinking that I can be boasted and lifted up and people can applaud my name and talk about how good of a person I am, while simultaneously my actions are as deplorable as any other, excuse me, my thoughts are as deplorable as anybody else's. And here's what it says about the king of Tyree. He says, all this prosperity has led you to think in your mind, look at my strength. Look at how good I am. If I could go back and change one thing about whenever I was younger, I think one thing that I would definitely change about the time when I was young is I'd stop thinking about myself so much. As a young person, I I thought about how I appeared to other people, what people would think of me, how I could rise my appeal to some groups or demographics or And now I look back and I think, man, all those hours and days and weeks and months of so focusing on self were just a waste. Here, look at verse 20, or excuse me, chapter 28 says this. Son of man, say to the prince of Tyree, thus saith the Lord. Listen to this. Because your heart is lifted up and you have said and thought, I am a God. I sit in the seat of the gods in the heart of the seas. Yet you are only a man, weak and feeble, made of the earth and not a God. Though you think your mind is of the mind of God, behold, you are imagining yourself wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that is hidden from you. With your own wisdom and with your own understanding, you've acquired your riches and power and have brought gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom and by your trade, you've increased your riches and power and your heart is proud and arrogant because of your wealth. He continues into verse... Nine, and he asked this question. Wilt thou yet say before him that slayeth you that I am God? You recognize what he's saying this morning? He's saying this. You boast yourself in your own thoughts in the privacy of your mind when things are prosperous and going well. But on that day when a man, and he's using a battle analogy here, and he's saying this, when you have fallen to the ground and your sword is gone and a man is standing over you with his sword and he's about to take your life, will you look at that man and say, look at me, I'm a God. Like the things that you thought when you were prospering? You know what the irony is this, that the very group of people that were going to conquer Tyree was a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a Babylonian king, and we can read more about him in the book of Daniel. And as you go on through the book of Daniel, what we'll find is that Nebuchadnezzar also got lifted up. 
right? That he thought of himself very highly and he thought, you know, all of these things and the beauties of my kingdom, conquering all these nations, have come about from my own strength and God prophesied that that was going to happen. And he said, when, you, when that does happen, I am going to demonstrate to Nebuchadnezzar that it is not by your strength, it is not by your power that you have risen to this stature. And so I'm going to make you condescend to be as a beast of the field. And so there Nebuchadnezzar was, First as the king of the most mighty nation on earth. And then God in just a moment of time brought him so low that he went out to the beasts of the field Nebuchadnezzar did. And he began to graze upon the grass and act like an animal for a couple years of his life. And it brought him back to his senses. And here's what God was trying to teach him. That it is not by your power and strength, but by God alone that you are who you are and what you are. This morning, you know, I think very often when people are seeking the Lord, they're, they're trying to do it of themselves. What can I say? What can I do? And I know in my own lost condition, I would listen to the whispers of people that would come around and encourage me, or I would listen to the testimonies of people, and what they would say sometimes, I would repeat to God, and I'd say, Lord, I don't know what else to do, and I would say all of these number of things, but the beauty and and the moment that God saves a person is when in their heart and in their mind, there is a coming to the end of self, there's not an attempt to do all of these works and say all of these things and act all of these certain ways, not to repeat all these things that you heard or take from the scriptures some verbiage that you can somehow repeat and that God is going to come down and bless you because of that but it's in that moment of complete I don't know what to do I don't know what to say God if this will happen it must be of you what I'm speaking this morning is words but that must be the attitude of your heart God if you don't save me I have no hope when that goes and it's transferred from a line of thought to a reality in your heart I have a very good friend in his mid-70s now. and I've told you about him before. He had a devil tattoo on his arm. That's how, that's how his life, for 59 years of his life, that's how sinful and out there and wickedness that he was. He started coming to church. and I'm not going to go into the details this morning, but it was by God's providence alone that he started going to church. He was there, and he had sought the Lord for... About 14 months. I don't mean seek in the sense that we often experience it today where somebody's coming to an altar, but I mean in his life he was seeking after God. And finally he got to the end of his rope. And here's what he told God. God, if you don't save me, then I'm just going to have to glorify you in my damnation in hell. Wow. What emptiness that a person came to. God, I want to be saved so desperately, but I'm so convinced that you're the only one that can do it. That if your design for me, which it's not, but if your design for me is to glorify you by being damned to hell, God, so be it. Wow, coming to the end of yourself. Well, not so surprisingly, that day, that man found the Lord. You see, there is this One of the things that I don't like about at least the public school that I taught in is there is a great emphasis upon self-dependence. If you just rely on yourself and you work hard enough and 
listen, there are good qualities to have is, is being, have, taking initiative and being a hard worker. And I wouldn't at all in a natural sense demean those things. But in the sense that doing those things without the background and context of knowing that it's by God's grace alone that a person is saved. It is by God's grace alone that we're able to prosper and be successful in this life. If it's not built, if those, those ideas are not planted within that context, then they're wrong because they're man-centered. Here, he begins to talk to the king of Tyre and he's saying, listen, you thought all these things, but in the day of your judgment... It'll mean nothing. And then he, he does, and I, I don't know, I, I should have looked up how to pronounce the word, but it's like a funeral dirge, I think is what you call it. Or it's like a, he uses the word in the King James, a lamentation. So you would think of it as you go to this funeral and he says, what he wants the prophet Ezekiel to do is, after the, king of Ty, or the prince of Tyre is dead, I want you to write a poem that you can recite or that could be recited at his, at his funeral. And that poem is in chapter 28 and it's, Related to the fall of Satan. And so we learn some things about the fall of Satan from heaven in this form of expression that Ezekiel is doing as a poem because what he's trying to say is this. In a similar fashion to how Satan was cursed and will be judged by God is in a similar fashion to how the prince of Tyree will also be exalted in his thinking and then will fall and be destroyed in judgment. You know, that's the amazing thing, and that's the sad thing about people who are lost, is that very often the same pattern that has been since the very beginning. I was thinking this week, and it strikes me periodically, how exasperated you would be tempted to be as God by looking down and for years and years and years trying to teach a generation something and then finally by God's grace after 60 or 70 years of trying to instill a certain idea or principle or truth in the heart of a generation finally after 70 years perhaps you teach that generational lesson and these people begin to follow you in the way that you've commanded only to be followed up by a brand new generation who completely ignores the lessons that you taught the previous generation and the instruction of that previous generation and they fall into the same pattern that has been around for thousands and thousands of years that generations have fallen into and that is this it is only by God's grace that we have all that we do and if we realize that and we live a life in accordance with that God will visit us and he'll bless us and he'll dwell with us and he will be our God and we will be his people and we'll experience something on earth that is very rare for people to experience when you consider history however for that generation to then be followed up with another generation that ignores that and thinks in their mind as these people did, you know what, if I'll just apply myself a little harder, I will be my God. Think about how exhausting it must be. When I think back to my former days, sometimes I think, you know, those older people that saw the way I was, they they had to have just laughed at some of the things that I said and did. Why? Because it's the age-old pattern. They've seen it all before. One of the very sad things in our culture today that old people don't have a voice very much, do they? When you hear about demographic voting groups in politics, you hear about whites and blacks and men and women and all these different groups. And yet the group, which ought to have been forged by experience to have the most wisdom and reflection looking back, are this older group of people. Imagine how God feels. He's finally taught a group of people something. And they have finally clung on to it. And then the generation after them and the generation after them ignores it. 
and they fall back into the same pattern that he is saying here in Ezekiel 28 is the same one that was demonstrated by Satan himself in the fall. What was that? He became successful. That's what it describes Satan as. He was a beautiful angel. I don't even understand that this, this is partially, I think, figurative and perhaps partially if it's literal, but what it's saying is he was this beautiful angel and he had this beautiful gift. God had given him that. God had created him. Nothing of his own doing made him who he was. And then he thought to himself, I want to be lifted up as God. And he became proud and arrogant in his heart. And here's the sad thing. Everyone who follows that pattern ends up the same way. I think that's why he gives three examples to the same group of people. He calls out the nation, he calls out the prince, and then he has this poem written about Satan showing us ultimately when our success leads to pride and rebellion, the inevitable consequence is judgment and a judgment that we want nothing to do with. This morning, here's what I want to say in regards to our title. When you begin to think lofty of yourself, you're rowing in deep waters. When you begin to think that it's by your own ingenuity, and that's one of the things that he talked about with the nation, is that their ingenuity was the cause of their success. This morning, it's none of that. Rather, what the New Testament emphasizes over and over and over again is without him, we are nothing. You know, once that really sinks in in your heart and your mind, and it begins to trickle down to every area of your life, that by him all things consist is what the book of Colossians chapter 1 has. You know what that means? Are, are, kept, alive, are kept going by him. To think that everything about me and the complexity of this natural body, the complexity of this mind and the spiritual being, all of it is consists of, all of it is perpetuated by God's grace alone. That being the case, how can I exalt myself? How can you exalt yourself? This morning, if you're here and you don't know the Lord... There is nothing, there is nothing of greater importance and nothing that will become more clear on the day of judgment than how misplaced your mindset is about your own abilities, about your own success, than when God on that day of judgment. You know, there are many great kings, there are many great leaders of the world. You know, whenever I listen to these world leaders and these inventors of of great companies, pontificate about their greatness. You know, it really struck a chord with me, perhaps because I used to be a a really big basketball fan, NBA fan. Um, When Kobe Bryant died a couple years ago in a helicopter crash. That, and I say this with all due respect, really embodied a lot of these thoughts this morning. Because in the... the, context of the sports world, in particular perhaps the basketball world, there is a 
pride just oozes out of these men. Calling themselves by, I'm a legend, I'm a superstar, I'm, a, I'm great, I'm better than, I'm all of these things. Embellishing their abilities, embellishing their success, embellishing their notoriety, creating brands after their names, having everybody walk around that has their names on the back of their shirts. It's, it's this sought after and desire that if I could just get to this place of esteem... And so he spent from the time that he was 18 years old until the time he was about 40 years old, over half of his life was spent trying to build himself up and he reached it. And then one morning, one Sunday morning, at 40, 41 years old, and let me ask you this question, what is that worth to him now? What is that brand? What are those shoes? What are those commercials? What are all those things? And this very moment, as I speak this morning, what is it worth to him right now? Nothing. Nothing. I don't know where he stood with the Lord, but if he didn't know the Lord, he'll spend eternity lamenting every moment that he asserted himself rather than humbly acknowledging who God is. See, that's, that's one of the deceptive things about the world today is they don't tell you the full story. Because today, he's a, he's a legend. And perhaps there's a degree of insensitivity, and I don't mean to be insensitive this morning, but I do mean to bring to you the blunt truth. They tell half the story. And no matter how many times they replay his, the reels of his success, no matter how many times that he can hold up championship banners and hold on to rings and all those things, no matter how many times it happens for somebody, it is the age-old story. He falls right there in it. For thousands of years, men have fallen into that age-old story. I sought my success. And yet it's temporary. And things that are temporary mean so little in the light of eternity. This morning, I not only appeal to this example, I not only appeal to this, this pattern that has reached over and over in scriptures, I appeal to what you already know in your heart is true. You know this. I pray this morning, if you're lost and you don't know the Lord, I pray that if God is, you know, we don't, we don't talk about this a lot. I, I probably need to do a better job of, of talking about this. When the Lord draws you and convicts you of your sin, in that moment you need to seek after him. I mean, in the moment where the word of God hits you, and you know, I get up here every week and I preach. And there are weeks where God, through his Holy Spirit, doesn't hit you. And perhaps what you need to pray in those moments is, God, hit me with it. Please allow your word. Please convict me. Perhaps there's an appropriate time for that to be the case. But listen, when God is reaching out to your heart and is applying the truth to your heart, That's the moment to seek him. God is communicating to you. I am drawing you. And no man can come to the Father except he be drawn of him. 
And the moment a person is being drawn is the moment that you seek the Lord. Claw. I mean, do everything you can to get to the Lord. Nothing because you know that you have the attention of God Almighty and that he is drawing you to himself with the purpose to save you. God doesn't draw people just to give you a temporary feeling. God draws you so that he might might give to you something. And that's salvation through his son. If you're here this morning and you feel the drawing and the presence of God calling out to you, won't you seek after the Lord this morning? Sister Ashley, if you'd get for us a song. Let's all stand today. I pray that God would burden your heart today with things that are eternal and not things that are temporary this morning. Let's all stand and sing today.